So I'd like you to cast your minds back all the way to last week, um, to Easter Sunday, and to the drama and suspense of the empty tomb of Jesus. The um, Roman authorities had told um, whoever was burying Jesus to lock the tomb up well. This was the best sealed tomb probably in the area, and early in the morning, Jesus' friends are coming to visit the tomb and to anoint the dead body. But when they arrive, they find that the tomb is empty and um, chaos kind of ensues for them in their little community. Uh, This story could have been told in lots of ways, but John, who I'm going to be telling the story of today, he, um, he focuses on this, the biggest event in human history and tells it in the smallest, most intimate scale, largely from the point of view of one woman called Mary. So Mary has come with Peter and John, her friends, to the tomb, knowing that the tomb will be empty. And Peter and John race ahead of her, and they have a little race themselves, they get to the tomb, they see that it's empty, and that's enough for them, they scarper off home. Um, Mary stays at the tomb, and we're left at the scene with her. We have the verses up, thanks. So it says, Then the disciples, that's Peter and John, went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So if we go back here to the beginning of the story where we meet Mary lingering at the grave of Jesus. As we've said, the other disciples have left. But there is something unique and precious about her devotion to Jesus which keeps her here. We don't really know much about Mary, but we do know that she had been with Jesus. She wasn't like one of the crowd watching and speculating from afar Jesus himself had set her free from many demons and now she accompanied him along as he preached in many towns and cities with the disciples. She knew and loved Jesus personally. She was his friend. What a statement for Mary to have been able to say. She was probably a woman of ill repute, But just by virtue of being a a woman in that time, she would have been marginalized, 
in society. She wouldn't have had a voice. She wouldn't have had an education. She wouldn't have had independence. And yet here she finds herself known and valued by this revolutionary teacher. The uncreated, eternally complete, holy and majestic ancient of days became a human being and was Mary's friend. It's hard to imagine the kind of utter devastation that Mary was experiencing in this moment here. Having traveled around with Jesus, she would have given things up for him. Largely security, her routines, maybe her relationships, the safety of familiar surroundings that she would have known her whole life. In Luke, we read that she provided for Jesus out of her means, which means she sacrificed things for him, and he would have been entirely worth it for her. He would have been entirely wonderful to her, captivating and compelling, and she wouldn't have thought twice about giving up her life for him. But then she is there at the scene of the crucifixion, watching her favorite person in the world crucified, And she finds herself here at this tomb without him. Hope stashed, a future uncertain, and her heart broken. Maybe she was lingering at this tomb because she had nowhere else to be. It says that she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And... He asks her these questions, and she thinks he's the gardener. Um, So she's asking practical questions of this man. And the um, dramatic irony at this point is so tangible. This is the moment where um, John's listeners would have been shouting at the TV or at the man reading from the scroll. (laughs) Um, Mary is literally face-to-face with Jesus, She is face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus. He knows the answers to the questions he's asking. Um, In fact, he is the answer to the questions that she's asking. And I'm sure as you're reading this, or as the hearers would have heard this, they would have been like, come on, (laughs) he's right there. Um, And he could have immediately shown her that it was him. But just for a second, He pauses long enough to meet her in her sorrow and to hear her articulate her pain for herself. This is such grace for Mary because we can understand it, but she actually didn't need to be crying in the first place. She would have heard Jesus promise to those who were with him that he would die and that he would come back. He had told her that she didn't need to be afraid of this moment. Milne says that from the perspective of heaven, nothing is more incongruous than tears at the empty tomb of Jesus. And she's just met angels (laughs) in the empty tomb. But yet here Jesus is, come to find her in her doubts, in her fears, in her unbeliefs. Jesus isn't keeping tabs on her mistakes, but he is so attentive to each of her tears. He asks her questions. And as we said, he knows the answer, but he wants to have a conversation with her. 
Even when the reason for our pain is because of our own lack of trust, Jesus comes to find us. In keeping with the resurrection appearances that follow, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. She doesn't recognize the man that she loved in this man standing in front of her, Um, probably because Jesus is in his resurrection body. He has conquered death, and he's ready to take his seat in victory at the right hand of the Father in this new body. And yet, in his ever-surprising way, he is still humble and gentle enough to be mistaken for a gardener. And in some sense, she's actually not a million miles off. Because for Mary, Jesus is about to turn a graveyard into a place of new life. And now comes the moment that we have all been holding our breath for. The moment that these listeners were holding their breaths for and this book is holding its breath for and actually creation was holding its breath for. The moment where Jesus reveals that it's him, that he's alive, that everything has changed. It is the moment where he confirms that he has won the greatest victory in the history of time. And the moment is one single word. And it's Mary's name. This man is the saviour of the world and has just achieved eternal victory for the world. And yet his priority is finding his friend in a garden. And in that moment, it is if for Jesus, as if everything that he had done, coming to earth and dying for us and rising again, it is as if all of that was just for her. Doesn't this seem like a disproportionate use of time? (laughs) I wonder if there could have been a lot of things that Jesus could have been doing at this moment. He's got a lot to do. He's just changed reality forever. Um, He's about to ascend and usher in the age of the Spirit. And he's got a few weeks to give his disciples the instructions they need to turn the world upside down. Doesn't this moment seem illogical and extravagant? Yeah, this is Jesus. He died and rose again so that he could come and find Mary and have this moment with her. And he died and rose again so that he could come and find you and call you by your name. Jesus coming to be with us wasn't just a means to an end so that he could save us and give us a bunch of instructions on how to live and then leave again. Jesus' name is Emmanuel. It wasn't just what he did. It's who he is. God with us. Jesus coming as a man was a demonstration of the very heart of God who longs to encounter his people. 
to be present among them, to be known by them. It's a heart that runs right the way through this book, right at the beginning. God says, They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. And then right at the other end of the book, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Jesus will settle for nothing less than personal encounter with you because it's what you were made for. You were built with the capacity to be met with by God himself. You were made for friendship with the divine. This type of encounter that Mary has here is not unique to Mary because Jesus happens to be particularly fond of her, although I think he was. Um, And it's not just for when Jesus was on earth. We have this story because it shows us the way that Jesus wants to meet with us now. Jesus' face-to-face attention with Mary in this story, his attentiveness, his knowingness of her, the undivided attention that he gives her, quite unwarranted, is the same as the attention that he has for you now. And we don't progress from this place It's not a one-off. A life with Jesus means a life of face-to-face encounter with him. There's a story from when Jesus was traveling around and when he was teaching um, about some friends of his um, called Martha and Mary. Um, He visits their home and um, Martha, one of the sisters, is hosting him. And... She is very busy doing a lot of things. She's, um, the Bible says she's distracted with much serving. She's probably trying to be a good host. Um, she knows that Jesus is important and they care a lot about him and he's got a lot to say. So she's probably trying to do a good job and keep the house clean and do the washing up and provide food. Um, and she's pretty flustered in this story. Um, and her sister Mary is doing completely the opposite and just sitting at Jesus' feet. Um, and she's, it says she's listening to him teaching. And Martha's not particularly happy about this. And in classic sibling form, she basically dobs Mary into Jesus. <laughs> and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. <laughs> like he's their dad. <laughs> um, And Jesus, and she she doesn't get the response that she, I think, would have been looking for. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, which I think is probably affectionate. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What is that one thing? What Mary was doing sitting at Jesus' feet and being with him. David talks about this one thing as well. He says, one thing 
I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. One thing have I asked of the Lord. How quickly we can be like Mary Magdalene and not recognize when Jesus is right in front of us. And how quickly we can be like Martha and get distracted even when Jesus is right there in front of us. I want to ask, are you distracted with much serving? There is work to be done. Hard work, actually. (laughs) Being a Christian involves battle and sacrifice and obedience and discipline. And all of those things can feel like hard work. And we are called to serve. We're called to serve hard and well. But what Jesus is saying here is that all of those things have to flow from this place. But you were made to be with God, who is in his very essence a God of relationship. You were made to know him and recognize his voice, to sit at his feet like Mary to be loved by him. One thing is necessary. When it comes down to it, Mary's message to the disciples, which (laughs) I think is funny, it's not even the message she was told to tell. She's like, I've seen the Lord. Um, She probably says the other message afterwards, but that's the overflow of her heart in that moment. I have seen the Lord. And when it comes down to it, that's the same as our message. It's all it really is, isn't it? I have seen the Lord. It's there at the heart of evangelism, discipleship, our devotional lives. It all comes back to this one thing I have seen the Lord. Come and be with God. It is the proclamation and the invitation to encounter God. This kind of life that Jesus has called us to, it's not just for the particularly emotional amongst us, or even to the spiritually sensitive It's for all of us. It isn't a mode of faith or um, how some of us operate. It is the central dynamic of our lives with God. But it does take time. I um, have been in contexts where I've heard messages, maybe similar to this actually, probably more when I was younger, um, the, like, there's more for us, and um, all fruitfulness flows from intimacy, and 
you can have as much of God as you want. And I remember this feeling of like, yes, I want that, but how? Uh, I don't feel like that. I don't really know how to recognize his presence. To be honest, I think I would have said, I don't even really know what it means to say that I love him. I wanted to serve him. I wanted to follow him. But I don't think I knew what it meant. I'm so grateful to Jesus that he's brought me to where I am now, where spiritual high points back then probably are more of a day-to-day reality now. Um, I know that when I open this book, I can encounter Jesus in its pages. I know that when I come to worship that I will see him and I will meet with him. And when I come to spend time in his presence, I don't have that fear. I don't know if you can relate to the like, will he turn up? And what will it be like if he does? And I was trying to think like, what has changed in me? What were the moments that got me from that place to here? And I really just think it's time that... God gives us year after year after year of seeking him. He comes and meets us. And we learn to hear what his voice sounds like. And we learn to become more perceptive to his spirit. Um, So if you are, if it's kind of frustrating to hear that God wants to meet with you and have encounters with you, it's not so mysterious doesn't have to be a a spiritually mysterious thing. It comes from spending time with him and from reading this book and from asking him to meet us. I know that whatever my normal is now for meeting with God, in a few years' time I'll look back and this will seem so shallow. I'm really excited for that. Whatever your normal is for meeting with God today, there is more for you. He wants to show you new things about what he's like. He wants to show you new things about what you're like. He wants to increase your capacity to experience his spirit and move in his spirit. If I read a quote the other day, it said, If we are unaware of the things that rightfully belong to us, we will never ask for them. This has been bought for us, this life of encounter. And if we're not remembering that it's possible to have more of him, then we won't seek after it. And we will become easily distracted by much serving. It is such a reassurance to me that even though Mary Magdalene was seeking Jesus, it was his initiative that meant that she found him. She was literally at the tomb asking where he was, and he had to reveal himself to her. He came to her. He recognized her before she recognized him. He called her before she called him. His name is Emmanuel. You don't have to persuade him. 
to want to spend time with you. He is on tenterhooks to meet with you. His presence isn't an aspiration, but it's a promise. <laughs>